Welcome to DOD Secure, and I'm your host, Jeff Bennett. Welcome to another video and podcast edition of DOD Secure. And I'm your host, Jeff Bennett, and I'd like to thank you for being here. I know there's a lot of other places you can go to find out information on the National Industrial Security Program Operating Manual or the International Traffic and Arms Regulation or other things pertinent to the defense contractor and the clear defense contractor. Here's where you find your information you want to know about winning and bidding on U.S. government contracts and performing classified work. As a matter of fact, that's the last book that we put out. That's the title of it, How to Win U.S. Government Contracts and Classified Work. And we're happy to announce that is going to be released on September 14th, 2020. Here's a little secret. I'm going to make it available for 99 cents on Amazon. So Look for that title under Jeffrey W. Bennett as the author. Anyway, thank you for being here today. Um, This issue is based on an older newsletter that I put out, and it is about the International Traffic and Arms Regulation, which governs export compliance. And you might be asking, what is export compliance? Well, it is when a defense contractor wants to be in line with rules, regulations, as put out by the Secretary of State. And it is based on guidance and regulations, commonly known as ITAR. Things that fall under ITAR are usually generated based on the U.S. government specifications. But a clear defense contractor can also work with um, ITAR items, export-controlled items that not, are not part of a U.S. government contract. And it's really up to that defense contract to determine what is um, a commercial export or is a defense export or what is a dual-use export compliance item. So this um, podcast and webinar will address three topics that, that can be used by um people who are in charge of ITAR cognizance within their organizations. And a few years ago, I put on the fundamentals of ITAR. Again, that stands for the International Traffic and Arms Regulation here in Huntsville, Alabama. And I did it at, facilitated it at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And I was really pleased with that class. We had about 30 professionals in there, everywhere from facility security officers to export compliance officers, two senior um, vice presidents of clear defense contractors. And we talked about the fundamentals of the ITAR. And we talked about how to set up for a license, what needs a license, and um, how to set the company up for success so that items can be viewed successfully and reduce the chances of an export violation. These violations come with potential jail time, high fines, and debarment. And you don't want that for your company. So welcome again, and we'll cover this topic in depth. In addition to the exports compliance, we're going to talk about um, just a little bit about, um, you know, we have presidential elections coming up. 
what is the impact of an election on export compliance and protecting classified information. You know, many of you know that the president, as they appoint their cabinet, either State Department or some other members of national security, they may come out with new policy, new guidance. Two presidents so far have determined how, uh, put out new guidance on how to release secret, top secret and confidential information. They'll put out new guidance on exports, treaties, and among other things. So uh, as this election kicks off and completes, we'll find out what the president-elect or the president incumbent will do. Um, we'll keep an eye on, on that and keep you updated of, of any potential or possible or actual policy changes in these areas. All right, so let's talk about it from the top to the bottom, ex establishing an export compliance program. Yeah, so in this case, again, this reflects the class that I taught at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. And um, I forgot to say that the North Alabama Trade Association um, sponsored this program and they made it possible. Again, we had attorneys in there. We had vice presidents of companies, um, facility security officers, contracts managers, exports compliance officers, all in this class. One of the things I wanted to talk about in this class, which I'll bring here to the forefront of this podcast and, and, and video, is the amount of influence required to execute a good exports compliance program. Without influence, you, you can be a really good technical expert on exports compliance, but without that influence, you won't be able to implement change. So it's important that you determine who you need to work with build a good team, incorporate other players from around the company so that this is an organizational or enterprise-wide uh, occurrence. You know, don't let export compliance be a stovepiped operation within your industry because you're going to fail miserably because you won't be able to include what the program managers are doing, the engineers are doing, the actual technicians in your company who may be working with contracts that require exports compliance and you as a compliance officer may not be aware of it. So it's good to have the proper influence and interact with your company and build this thing from the top down and from the bottom up so that everybody understands their role and you can build a company-wide export or successful export compliance program. And if you use a risk cycle, this is something kind of easy to implement because people wonder what is an export item. The export can be anything that is protected and only U.S. persons should have access to export compliance information. And this is usually based on need to know. You don't have to have a clearance to uh, access export compliance, but you have to be a U.S. person. Now, U.S. person doesn't always mean a citizen. You can have a green card. You can be an immigrant. You can have, be at all stages, but not necessarily be a U.S. citizen. You just have to be a U.S. person who is authorized to access this information. Because if you think about it, export um, controlled information is almost the same as the discussion that we're having with controlled unclassified information. It is information that your company is putting together that contains technical data that might be controlled and regulated as according to the ITAR. Um, the reason why it can be included in CUI, but not 
you know, um, there may be more export compliance items than there are COI items because of the regulations. Export compliance requires an additional step beyond COI protection in that if you wanted to have um, foreign uh, non-U.S. persons view these items, you need to get permission from the State Department. And uh, there are various ways to request that permission. Um, and there is a process to do so. And that process is also found in the ITAR. Um, what you want to do in your company is start with, if you want to determine what is an export compliance issue, you start with your program office who are working with government customers or prime contractors and look at what the contract is saying. Their contract will identify the type of work. Then you want to look at the security classification guide if one exists. That can be helpful in determining what is unclassified, what is classified, what is unclassified, and what might be in export controlled items. Usually it's raw data, drawings, graphics, anything that gives kind of intimate details about a program or a project that should be protected. Um, these things cannot be, some examples of exports are a non-US person looking at your computer screen and reading data off it. It could be an, a non-informed person providing technical data not authorized for release at a presentation. It could be a um, business development person releasing too much information at a meeting. These all are types of exports. Now, exports can be performed given that protections are in place and um, permissions are given. Without that, then you have an export violation, again, punishable by many, many different things. So when you're building this program, you not only want to make rules and regulations, but you want to get buy-in. You want to have that type of influence to where you get buy-in on this program, everybody has a part in it, and there's communication constantly being performed. Now, once you, you know, using the risk cycle, you want to identify your assets, you want to identify the threat, the vulnerabilities, do a risk analysis, select countermeasures. Same thing with export compliance issues. You want to identify one, what is an export um, protected item within your company. You go through a process and identify those items. Once you identify them, then you build up um, that risk cycle. You look at, you know, what are the um, threats to that information? Who or what wants to access it? What are the vulnerabilities? You know, what are the weaknesses that will allow an adversary to access that information? I'd like to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, and that's Mission Driven Research. And they can be found at www.missiondrivenresearch.com. And Mission Driven Research is a growing company providing technical services to U.S. federal government. The goal of MDR is to continuously improve performance in three core values. This mission focus is the core of MDR and fosters a highly satisfying work environment, motivating employees to excellence. And so if you get a chance, go by there and visit their website at www.mdr.com. And you want to look at the countermeasures that are currently in place. A good example is maybe you have um, 
an engineer who wants to provide a briefing um, at a symposium where non-US persons are invited. They may want to go and brief everything with that program without being informed of what needs to be protected. So the threat in this situation might be that this information that we've identified as needing export controls are in a briefing and readily available throughout the company. The threat is when it's presented, non-US persons are there. The vulnerability is that the um, engineer giving the briefing does not understand or has not um, redacted inf information from this presentation that could be export controlled. The countermeasures in place would be to have a review to see what is an export compliance and what needs to be removed from that briefing. So that's one example. Other examples could be um, export controlled information laying out during a foreign national visit or having foreign nationals working in your facility and not having a technology control plan in place. So those are other examples of threats of non-US person accessing um, controlled information through vulnerabilities within your um, enterprise. So going through that exercise, including the proper people in this exercise and developing the right influence can help you protect export compliance information with your, your company. So hopefully you understand better what an export is, um, what an export controlled item is, and how to protect that export controlled items from unauthorized exports and save yourself a lot of. So let's take a look at another situation where they might the company might be vulnerable to an export violation. Suppose that uh, your security manager or an export control officer and somebody approaches you, one of your employees approaches you and says that they want to bring in a non-US person to come in and work on a classified contract. And they come to you and ask you for a visit request authorization that they can send to that um, non-US country, foreign country, to have that employee fill out and be brought into your company. What are the first things that come to mind when you hear this request? Yeah, that the employee is misinformed. There are two issues here. One is non-US persons performing on a classified contract. That's the first issue. The second issue is export compliance and without any licenses involved. So this is a situation you might be faced with from company executives, managers, and even employees who don't quite understand the process. I've seen it before. These requests are not uncommon, but your responsibility as a person of influence and a person uh, assigned to protect classified information or export controlled information is to inform this person of the right process. So you want to bring in a non-US person to perform on a classified contract. They may not be performing classified work, but there are going to be permissions that need to be in place. Now, this type of request should be made from an embassy. It is a government-to-government -government request because it is requiring somebody to come in and work on a government program at a contractor location. So the first issue is you can't just come to the defense contractor and get a visit request and be able to roam around freely and do the work that you want to do. 
you're going to have to make that request or make sure that these, that, um, this company you want to partner makes this request and through government to government channels, unless they have already been made by the government customer. Sometimes the government customer will put in that request to have a non-US person come and work on a government contract in a cleared facility. Having said that, the cleared facility has a last say on whether or not they want that person in there. So there's something that they're going to have to work out with the GCA, the government contracting activity and the um, defense counterintelligence and security agency and a couple of other agencies. So if somebody wants to come in and work on a classified contract, it must be government to government. If a non-U.S. person wants to come in and just work on a commercial item or a non-U.S. government um, program, they can do that. But they need to un- your employees need to understand that licenses or permissions from the State Department must be put in place before that event occurs. So the next time your employees ask for international cooperation or want to do businesses internationally, make sure they understand what the process is. Give them the correct training and help them understand what export compliance issue is and how to enforce the compliance, get the help that they need from the right people and make any kind of international business endeavor a complete success. Sometimes it just happens. In spite of living a life above reproach, you have an event that could put your security clearance in jeopardy. But before you discuss it with anyone at work or your FSO, contact Ron immediately for help to self-report in the best possible way. You can call Ron at 256-713-0221 or visit his website at www.securityclearancedefenselawyer.com. All right, so I want to talk to you about one final topic. And that is, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about security through walking around. So I want to give you an example, a few examples of questions to ask to check the pulse of your security or the pulse of your security awareness training to see if your cleared employees understand what you are teaching them. And so I came up with a couple of questions that you might find useful that you can use in your own facilities. And um, again, the intent is to purposefully walk through the facilities and see what people understand about security clearances, the security clearance process, and how to protect classified information. Um, These surveys I did send out to the cleared employees Not all of them responded back. Those who did, I was very grateful for, and I rewarded them for it. And I showed my appreciation to them. And so you might have some incentives when you send these out. By all means, not everybody answered the questions, and this is by all means not scientific because the people who answered questions may have already known the answer, and the people who didn't answer questions may not have known. So I only got to really assess the knowledge level of the people who answered the questions. I have no idea what the people who didn't answer the questions were thinking. But then when I went through and asked these questions, uh, the people who are knowledgeable stepped up, raised their hands and answered the questions for everybody else. So there may be better ways of doing this, but I thought they were great questions that, that 
I used and I used them as training points when people could not answer the questions thoroughly or appropriately. So let's look at some of those questions. I'm just going to grab my sheet real quick. Now, here, here's the questions and some potential answers. First question, will your security clearance or the way you protect classified information be impacted by a new president or their administration? So there are several answers that might be provided. One is the president can declassify any classified information. Or there should be some sort of transition in place for businesses that overlaps a four-year administration tenure. And C, I don't foresee any significant changes. So those are some those are some answers that I did get. Um, let's, but in reality, in recent history, we've had two sequential presidents provide separate executive orders. They weren't conflicting; they were executive orders with different uh, requirements, not necessarily conflicting. Um, presidents have issued policies directing what qualifies as classified to receive a confidential secret or top secret classification. Now the contractors and the government agencies that protect classified information based on the guidance, they do so from, you know, guidance that occurs in executive orders. And when changes occur, they affect your ability to store classified information. It affects personal security, you know, the infrastructure that is in place to process um, security clearances and protect classified information. It could increase costs to companies should the requirements be more strenuous. Um, so there are impacts to you as a cleared employee in your organization as a cleared defense contractor facility. So keep that in mind as um, you anticipate um, the election of a president, either a sitting president, re-election, or the election of a new president you kind of be able to gauge some of the changes that might come about. All right, here's another question. Is a defense contractor allowed to advertise their facility security clearance level or post about it on social media? Good question. Can you put it on your resume? Can you put it on um, LinkedIn? Are you allowed to put that you are a top secret SCI cleared employee who's seeking a job it that requires a his a, a top secret SCI uh, clearance. Would that be wise? Would that be an indicator for an adversary to target you? All right. So there's another one. I think I told you on another podcast about a LinkedIn group I saw that said top secret government employees. You can only apply here if you have a top secret clearance with the government. Um, that is one organization I would not want to belong to because again, you're setting yourself up. Uh, to be targeted and identified there. And we don't even know if the owner is of these sites um, have malicious intent. So be careful with that. The answer is, it depends on, okay, some of the answers, potential answer that I have received is, depends on what level you're advertising. You should be able to advertise security clearance levels. That's one of the answers that I got. And re the reality is, according to the National Security program operating manual, the contractor cannot use their security clearance level to advertise for business. It's in NISPOM chapter two. And a facility clearance is an administrative determination that a company is eligible for access to classified information 
or, or the award of a classified contract. A con contractor shall not use its facility clearance for advertising or promotional purposes. And this applies to personnel clearances as well. You know, as a lead security educator, the lead security manager, the ITAR compliance officer, or whatever your role is, you know, um, you need to make sure that your cleared employees grasp the significance of what they're protecting, whether it's classified information, whether it's ITAR controlled information, whether it's controlled unclassified information. It's important that they understand the assets that need to be protected, the threats to those assets, the vulnerabilities within your enterprise that um, an adversary could exploit and to determine what the risk level is there. And so hopefully these three topics that we talked about today can help you become better at um, doing your job, better at getting more influence in your company so that you can execute appropriately on your classified contracts. Again, I'm Jeff Bennett. I'm here with DOD Secure and our latest book, and we hope you check it out, comes out on, on September 14th and it's called How to Win U.S. Government Contracts in Classified Work. Please visit us at redbikepublishing.com. We also have free training at bennettinstitute.com and we hope that you're able to come through. Subscribe to our channel and you'll be able to get these videos as they come and come on over to our podcast, DOD Secure, available on all podcast platforms, including the new one at Amazon. So we're looking forward to having you join us there. Again, thanks for joining us.